Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open them to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, as we continue to tackle this passage in light of embracing and tackling mental health. Um, today's a full day. We have the Lord's table with us here this morning. And what I mean, we get a chance to participate in that. We have a baptismal uh, and a baptism happening at the end of the service. And both of these ordinances are, are rich and given to the church by Christ and and become and symbolic with so much truth in them. And then we have your pastor for the first time in boots. And so I'm a little, let me, let me show them off to you because they're, they're, if I fall, you'll understand why, but I got a pair of brown boots. I don't have a horse, but I got boots. Are these Nate approved? He was shocked that I was wearing them. Um, it wasn't on our memo that, because he wanted to dress like me, and he says, now you're wearing brown and boots. So do you have a pair of boots? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a little story behind the boots, though. Um, this week, Shree and I had the privilege of <clears throat> being presented in front of Foundation that, uh, of course, is, is new in our area, uh, and they're doing a great job when it comes to mental health. It's called the J Foundation, and... Uh, it's started by a bunch of believers. Their desire is to get the conversation going when it comes to uh, mental health. The story and the backstory, it's rich. And just a short input in that is that the gentleman who started it had a, had a friend who, in all intents and purposes, everything was going well. And then they go to college, go their separate ways after high school, and they continued their conversation. And yet, in the midst of that, this Gentlemen, he, he talked to his friend on Thursday, and it wasn't until Sunday that his friend took his life. And so he wanted to start a, a foundation to get this out there. And so, and I like their premise. What I like about it is that he says, you know what, we're giving you a pair of boots because often we need boot checks. We need to check our hearts, and especially within the body, to make sure that we're doing well in Christ, that, that we're carrying one another's burdens and that we're doing those things. And so your pastor has committed to periodically wear his boots in the pulpit so as to have a boot check time. And today is one of them, of course, as you well know. This also was a special week for our family because the search and rescue in the city of Twin Falls named a special drone after Taylor. And so that was very special for us to to have that be presented in front of us and, and to have a city that, that is concerned about making sure they recover individuals who, who lose their life within the waters that surround our, our beautiful area. 
So all that to say, my heart's a little bit emotional towards that, but I want us to get into the truth, and we're picking up part two here, and of course, it's something that uh, I think is going to be probably part three in light of all that we got going on today. But let me read our passage so as to set it before us, and then I want, um, of course, to exposit the scriptures here. So with your eyes, follow along as I read Philippians starting in verse 1. Philippians 4. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea, I urge Sictati, what a name, right? To live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, and I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and also with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Father, we do come to you knowing that you are the protector of the soul. Not only do you redeem the sinner, you, you place them in Christ, give them all the tools in which to have this relationship with this great God. We ask, Lord, that you continue to help us navigate this issue, a difficult issue for most, an issue that deals with our thinking, an issue that deals with our hearts, uh, an issue that infiltrates the church on many levels. And we ask, Lord, as we go to the Word, knowing that you have used your servant Paul in many ways, as he brings forth these imperatives, these charges to our souls, may we embrace them, may we apply them, knowing that you are doing your work according to your word through the power of the Spirit. Be with your servant as he desires to honor you with what he says. Pray for composure. Pray for wisdom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we started to address a very important topic that, that plagues our world, infiltrates the church. And, of course, that subject, in, in a broad sense, is, is mental health. And I want to start off by saying this. I want to say thank you for the continual conversations outside of the pulpit. Many of you have addressed, sent emails. We've talked face-to-face about how such an, an important issue that, that this may be. Um, I was even reminded by one dear saying of uh, giving grace to a young pastor way back when, when she had problems with this issue. And the pastor just said, hey, get over it. 
And so your pastor has grown a lot in trying to understand. And now, of course, I didn't say get over it. I told her to look to Christ and, and, and pick up and, and, and go forward. But just in that conversation and reminding us of those things, what we say and, and how we go about this is so detrimental to the edification of the body. And so it's, it's important that we think through these, this, this whole issue. And like I say, we doesn't, a week doesn't go by where, where we're thinking about individuals who, who are taking their life or dealing with depression or are struggling with life. And so I think it's healthy that the church talks about this. And of course, the Word of God, it addresses it. And so it's healthy for us to engage it. And so I appreciate the fact that there will be continual conversations around this subject as we continue to carry one another's burdens towards the things of Christ and for the things of growing in Christ. Now, as I begin this study, I gave you the reason and the purpose and the why we need to study the scriptures on how to deal with mental health. So to jog your memory, a couple weeks ago, we studied this subject so as to gain God's perspective on how to understand this issue and in turn help each other finish the race. So that is the end goal is to get across the, the finish line where our Lord will say, well done, and good and faithful servant. It doesn't mean that there won't be some, some burdens within our own souls in the midst of all that, and there are, as we know that, but the ability to think about each other and, and, and carry each other's burdens, I think for the church at large, we don't do a good enough job of that. I'll just say that up front. I, it's one of those things where we need to be more of a listener, knowing that we have people around us who are hurting, and, and to take the time to reach out. Some of you do a good job of that. Some of us, we need some work in that. But it's a matter of that we need to understand, according to Job, that we all have problems. We do. And we all struggle, even within the Christian life. And so how do we deal with this? Well, the Word of God has the answers, and that's what I love about the fact. matter of fact, our passage, we look to the Apostle Paul, who has lived much of life, and he's, he's understood how, how to navigate the ups and downs. I mean, just for example, you think of the Apostle Paul, every time he entered a city with a desire to proclaim the gospel and do the work of Christ, he was what? Beat up and thrown out. And yet he was resolved to continue to press on, knowing that there was an eternal purpose and plan for not only his life, but for the goal of his life and the church at large to continue this charge to proclaim the good news. So knowing that everybody's got problems, I think the important thing is how do we deal with it? And Paul gives us some great insights, great affirmations, great imperatives on how to deal with our hearts in the midst of a messy life. He answers such questions of how do we navigate through this minefield of issues. He's very practical in his approach here, as you will see. For one who is battling mental health issues in particular, Let's say it be depression, anxiety, or fear. How do we seek the sufficiency of Christ in the midst of all that? And then as a church, how do we help and carry each other's burdens and find victory in Christ in each other's lives and work our way through these, these mental health issues, knowing that we have a great and sufficient God? And that is so important, so foundational to our understanding here. And so this is exactly what Paul addresses in our passage here this morning in Philippians 4. And like I said earlier, the passage before us is simple, applicational, and yes, it is to be applied to life, not only when the one who is struggling with their thoughts and emotions, but also for those who are around those who are struggling in the church. 
I say that, and maybe this is more an exhortation for those who are, are, are doing well, because often the ones who are not, when they're stuck in depression, when, when life is spinning out of control, there doesn't seem a way forward, and they cry out for help. They feel stuck, overwhelmed, and, and have a hard time getting out of the funk that they find themselves in. That is why we who are not stuck in the realm of mental health issues, at least at the moment, need to be that gracious, patient, and loving help to carry the burden so as to nurse them towards the things of Christ and and get them healthy and understanding the sufficiency of Christ. And if there was ever anybody, like I said, who who understood this, modeled this, it is Paul, and he he clearly said that at the end of of, of verse 9, or or in verse 9, he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he says, look at me as, as I've been following Christ in the midst of all these things. And so Paul, what he does, he gives us, Chapter 4, seven affirmations, seven imperatives. They're there listed in your outline for bullet points for you to write down some notes if you so desire. But a way for you to remember the truth, those are given to you. And the way he does this is by giving us, like you say, these imperatives. Imperatives are not suggestions. This is not a self-help deal. This is something that is commanded of the, of the Christian to obey. This is not like I say, suggestions on how you are to live a Christ-filled life. These are must-dos. These are something that the Spirit produces and pushes us towards. And it's the action of those things, of those imperatives, that we are concerned about. Why? Because truth always produces action, right? It always causes us to to do something. And and the joy of the Word of God is that there's so many imperatives and and so many commands and and so many even prohibitions that it helps us live and navigate a Christian life that gives God the glory. And that's our desire. That is our desire. Now, a couple weeks ago, we saw the first two points. We saw the first two imperatives that were foundational. The first one was very foundational because it sets the tone for every other imperative that Paul gives. And simply to remind you, it was the exhortation to stand firm in the Lord. Look again at verse 1. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, and here it is, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. This is where everything begins. Your heart must be anchored to Christ is what Paul is telling us. You will find yourself, however, if you find yourself outside of anchoring yourself into Christ like a fish out of water, gasping for air, wanting to be in the environment that God had created you in. We noted that the Greek word to stand is stekete, which means to stand. It means to to stand firm on, on ground. It has the idea of a soldier standing firm in a position in the midst of battle. And you and I both know the footing of a soldier in the midst of battle is so imperative for him to move and have success. And so when it comes to the Christian life, it's the same thing. When it comes to to any issue in life, if we're not fully grounded in the things of Christ, we're going to find life being difficult. That is our, our safe place. That is our strong place. That is the place in which Christ desires for us to live is in him. In his truth, 
knowing that he is the great shepherd, knowing that his truth is eternal, knowing that there's nothing that the enemy can do to the one who is safely confined within the, the, the throes of the scriptures. And so what usually gets us most in trouble is when we leave that place. And often with mental health and depression, and our, our minds are spinning out of control, and, and, and that's probably the last thing that you think about is staying in Christ. You're, you're thinking about the issue. You're thinking about how it affects your soul and, and, and everything spinning out of control, and you find yourself drifting, if anything, away from the Lord. And so the best and greatest position for you and I to find victory over any issue, but in particular the subject at hand, mental health issues, is to stand firm in Christ. To stand firm in the Lord, get this, and this is important, it means that we mean strong and unwavering in our, with our union in Christ. In other words, it says this. It means that, that we stand with the lordship of Jesus Christ as being our master and our redeemer and our transformer, and we don't move. I mean, we live in a day and age where, where denominations are, are far from where they've all started as far as being anchored to the truth. And yet the call for the Christian and call for the church is, is to stay in the Scriptures, stand firm in Christ, and don't waver and don't move from it. And so we don't let our minds wander. I know that's easier said than done. Uh, you know, just interacting with individuals and, and even... You know, when, when life gets out of control, we, we start to speculate and our mind starts to spin and, and things that are not true become true to that individual. That is why we must cling to his character and trust him, Paul says. We hold on to God's attributes knowing that they will never change and never shift, always firm and always eternal. I mean, that's such a great truth for us to understand that God never changes. His truth will never change. If there's anything that this world needs is the reality that there is something that will be eternal, that will not change no matter what happens in this life. And so the first imperative is to stand firm in the Lord. He is your solid ground. He is the one you must hang on to. To not put our minds on him and stay there will be a struggle for your soul. That is why often when it comes to issues, we, we pick up and, and, and we're, we calmly and, and patiently and tenderly come along somebody to help them understand that is the, that's where they need to get back to. That is the ground in which they need to stand firm and that is the one in whom they must stand with and stand in. And so that is why we must help each other remember and apply and hold each other to this truth. To remind each other that Jesus Christ, listen to me, that Jesus Christ is sufficient. Amen? Jesus Christ is sufficient. And that he's there every step of the way with you. I think too often with the stigma of, of thinking that the Christian doesn't have everything in control and life is spinning out of, out of uh, control, is that sometimes we don't think Christ is with us. But you and I both know that he tells us repeatedly in the scriptures that he will what? Never leave you nor what? Forsake you. And so he is constantly 
Even though he seems and feels distant, he is ever-present with those who are his. He doesn't run when the going gets tough. He doesn't look down upon you when your life is spinning out of control. It only feels that way, which, by the way, your feelings and emotion, they often deceive you. You understand that? What we feel and how we feel and how we express that, often they need to be checked by truth. And that's what stabilizes us. That stabilizes our understanding of, of why we must stand in the presence of Christ. And so what we must often do is we need to tackle our emotions and our feelings and we kick them to the curb in light of what truth is all about. And sometimes it's the one who's helping carrying the burden that, that really kind of holds the two of you together and, and gets you there and, and keeps you there until that person can say, yes, this is faithful and solid ground in which I must stand in order to tackle my own heart issues and the issues around me. Now write this down. I want you to throw up on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This is one of the greatest memory verses for one who's struggling with any type of health issue, mental health issue. Listen to what it says here. It says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Notice what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying that, that we are going to destroy, dismantle any speculations that are outside the realms of what is true, what is right, what is good. And not only are we destroying that, but we're going to take every thought thereafter captive as a prisoner and make myself think about the things of Christ and keep it in obedience of Christ. Paul says, destroy, remove any such speculation, which is feelings and emotions that are raised up against the knowledge and the truth of Christ. This world, the enemy, wants you to think differently about Christ. Do you understand that? You're inundated with false views of God often. And too often we allow those, those false thoughts to, to creep into our minds and, and our world starts to, to move and shake and, and everything's unstable. God says, listen. The eternal truth in which I provide you destroys all those speculations. And what comes out of it all is the fact that there's truth in which we can safely land. And then we move forward by taking those thoughts. And if an issue doesn't line up to the things of godliness, then we don't believe it. But if they do, we embrace it. And so we stand firm, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The second one that we saw a couple of weeks ago is that we are to stand firm in unity. And it's kind of interesting how this kind of pulls that itself out. But if you followed along with me a couple of weeks ago, or if you're new here this morning, listening to this for the first time, you'll see what I'm going to say here in just a second. But look at verse 2 and 3. It says, I urge Eudia and sympathy... Both of them are urged, Paul does, right, to live in harmony in the Lord. Here you got two ladies who are fighting within the church, and, and Paul calls them to, to be unified, to come together, so much so that he implores a, a fellow companion. Verse 3, indeed, a true companion asks you 
to, to also help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You're going to say, Pastor, how does this apply to mental health issues? Listen, when the body is dysfunctional and disunified, what happens is the one another's don't happen. You understand that? The ability for, for us to carry one another burden is, is hindered because we got strife amongst each other instead of desiring to come alongside each other and, and carry one another's burdens. The verb urge here conveys an appeal, request, and encouragement to get right. And he encourages both of these ladies, and, and so much so that Paul doesn't even have faith in that these ladies will do it. Whatever they were bickering about and causing this rift within the body, he implores a, a companion to go after this. And all of that was for the motivation they have shared in his struggle for the cause of the gospel, verse 3 tells us. But he's also concerned about the fact of, of, of their body life, how they're functioning, and getting right with each other. We looked at the word help there, pretty important for us. He wanted the, the one who was going to come, seize these ladies, and pretty much to say, hey, get, it, get your hearts right. Seek forgiveness, reconcile, and then walk in unity. And so when it comes to that, we know that's a disruption towards the body life and, and being healthy and functioning according to the things of godliness. And so the call is to, to get it right, to seek forgiveness, reconcile so that Christ may manifest his goodness and greatness within the body. And so that's exactly how that applies, is the fact it's a Galatians 6.2 thing. It's, it's bearing one another's burdens, and therefore, by fulfilling the law, and the way that we do that best is by making sure that we're living in harmony with each other so that we don't dismiss the issues that are clearly in front of us when people are hurting. Now, I want to move on um, to our third point. This is new material helping us to understand how to tackle this. We, we come to another affirmation or imperative in verse 4, and that is to stand firm in joy. He says this, and these are seems kind of like kind of scattered brain, but they all have a purpose of, of, of helping us function rightly within the body. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord. What does it say there? Always. And in case we missed it, he says, again, I say rejoice. This is an imperative of rejoicing. It seems odd, doesn't it? Lord, you're, you're asking Paul, you're commanding that, that, that I rejoice in everything. Listen, there's not a lot of things out there to rejoice in. I had a conversation with a brother just this morning. I mean, this world, can I say it in bare terms? This world kind of sucks, doesn't it? It, 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 is, is, it is spinning out of control. It, it, there's not a lot of hope within it, which, by the way, that's all God's purposes. He wants our hope in him. But what are we to do? Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, understand the joy of prepositions in the Scriptures. The command is to rejoice, but notice the prepositions that follow, follows. Your rejoicing is in the Lord. And notice it's always. In other words, Paul says, look to Christ amongst life. And when you look to Christ, you will find yourself always rejoicing in his goodness and his kindness in your life. He says, rejoice always in the Lord, knowing that circumstances 
has no bearing on your rejoicing and your, your, your love for Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Where's Paul at when he's writing this letter? He's in prison. And yet he's commanding us to rejoice always, not in the circumstances, but in the Lord. I mean, Paul constantly learned how to rejoice in the Lord, even though with the circumstances of his own life was seen peril. He's learned to be content because his mind was steadfast on, on knowing who's in control and, and, and where things are going and knowing that his salvation is secure in Christ. Paul knew that Christ was sovereign, and that is so helpful in the midst of our living that we remind ourselves that Christ is sovereign. I mean, that is such a daily dose of reminder for us as we we live life, knowing that we can wake up even though we turn on the tube and things happen around the world, and we can rejoice in knowing that Christ is sovereign. You guys understand what sovereignty means, right? That he is absolutely in control of everything, Do you understand that? That he is the one who nobody thwarts his plans, his purposes, or his promises? I mean, Paul, so many predicaments. I think about his thorn in the flesh and and how he dealt with that. If you want to put up on the screen 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just to kind of walk through one of these things and how he dealt with it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, maybe a familiar passage to you. It's talking about his thorn in his flesh. It reads there, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, theologians, Bible students, want to try to figure out exactly what that thorn is. But the point is not the thorn. It really isn't. The point is his contentment in Christ, knowing that he has this element or whatever it is, the thorn in the flesh, so it humbles him to keep his eyes on Christ. Concerning this, I implored the Lord, Paul says, the Lord three times that, he might, that it might lead me. And he has said to me, my grace, and this is so beautiful, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, you talk about living in the presence, in the daily presence of Christ. He learned how to be content with Christ even though circumstances don't seem to be going well. He knew theologically that Christ supplied him with sufficient grace daily, no matter his circumstances. Christ was his. And he he lived in that realm. And so Paul, and the principle that we learn not only from Philippians 4, but, but even in 2 Corinthians 12, is that he fixed his eyes when problems seemed to be going out of control, spiraling under control. He fixed his eyes, beholding the beauty of Christ. He triumphed. Joy triumphed his heart when he, when he would look to Christ. I don't know if you're aware of this, but over 70 times in the New Testament, the Christian is called to rejoice. Over 70 times. 
And I think that's where the rub is when it comes to this whole issue of, of depression and mental health is that I'm called to rejoice, and so thus I must not carry depression or, or sadness or, or any of those things. But listen, beloved, that's a circumstance. This is eternal truth where we rejoice in the character and the qualities of Christ. I don't like being down here and dealing with the issues of my own heart and my thoughts, being saddened, depressed, whatever the case, but as I draw my heart and my mind towards the things of Christ, I look to him and I look at the one who's sufficient, who is able to help my soul, who is able to give me hope and peace. Maybe understanding, but maybe not. But in all reality, I really don't need it because I have Christ who's far more than any understanding or knowledge that I can gain in trying to understand my situation. I like how John MacArthur, he, he defines rejoicing as this, and let me quote him here. Rejoicing is simply reckless abandonment to Jesus Christ in all circumstances. Did you hear that? Rejoicing is reckless abandonment to Jesus Christ in any and all circumstances. It's constantly saying that you are the Lord's and you know that he's got it no matter what's going on. And it causes you to rejoice knowing that his second coming is coming and, and that the eternal state is going to be there. And, and in the end, it will all flush out where the king of kings and where every knee will bow and every tongue confess him as Lord. I mean, that is, that is such cause of rejoicing in light of what is happening. I mean, if we were to have to bear this on our own, and what unfolds even with our own soul and what's going on in the world, I mean, we'd all crumble. That's why he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, what? Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Christ is sufficient in every issue of our life. That sounds redundant, that sounds cliche, but it is utter truth for the Christian to know that Christ is sufficient in everything. Everything. So much so that, that Paul gives two qualities to this rejoicing in the Lord. He says always, in other words, it needs to continually to be on our hearts. It needs to be constant. I don't know, that, that, that puts a spring in your step, doesn't it? That's when life hits us like a ton of bricks, and, and he'll get to this here in, in verse 7, but people look at you and say, don't you understand what you have? You have cancer. Don't you understand that you don't have long, very long to live? The rejoicing in the Lord gives us a peace that passes all understanding. You understand that? It settles our soul. It gives us hope. Second quality is focused only on Christ and not the circumstance. Squeeze another one in here. Verse 5 calls us to stand firm in gentleness. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I mean, I love that ending of that verse. The Lord is near. Gentleness means yielding to others. 
It's not insisting on your own rights. I mean, sometimes we think of gentleness as, as being something that's tender and, and soft, but gentleness is actually yielding your rights for others. It's not taking a heel or standing on a heel for, for everything that you think that you deserve. It's a kind act. It's being courteous. To give you a word picture of what this gentleness looks like, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this starting in verse 5. He tells the Thessalonians, he says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, Paul says when he enters in and he proclaims the gospel and he shares the good news, it is as if he is a nursing mother who tenderly cares for his own children, that he, he brings, though the message is secure and not softened by its truth, it is given in its entirety, but it is there to, for the sake of you. And he brought it, and the apostles often brought it with gentleness for the sake of others. I mean, it's a great picture for us to, to kind of settle in our minds when we think about what he is calling for us to stand firm in, being firm as a mother who nurses his own child. We exhibit gentleness when we rest in Christ, beloved. When we're content in him. When we are satisfied in him. In the midst of our storms, when life is turned upside down, when circumstances don't make sense, we respond with these situations with gentleness. Why? Because the end of verse 5 says this, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Again, Paul reminds us the Lord is, is a present in our midst, even in our circumstances. He knows our circumstances. So why do we fear, Right? Matter of fact, that's exactly where he goes in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Why do we fear? Being gentle. Not proclaiming that I have certain rights that, God, that you have given me. I, I, I am going to yield those rights, knowing that you are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I fear no evil. There's a story, I think, that maybe might submit some of this to our minds and apply it to our souls. During the time of Stalin's reign in Russia, communist Russia, it was said of a group of 30 Russian peasants met in secret to worship Jesus Christ. Suddenly, their worship was halted by the arrival of Stalin's agents. Soldiers marched in and ordered the name of every person to be taken down, and, and one of the other men came up and, and started taking all the names. And when it was all finished, an old man spoke up. And he says, there's one name that you don't have. Soldier stopped and says, looked around. He goes, no, I got them all. 
peasant says, no, you don't. Argument ensued. Finally, the soldier says, okay, then, who did I miss? To which the man replied, well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's here too. You know, he's right. The presence of, of Christ, knowing that, that in the midst that even though the unbelieving world can't see him or know him, he, he is present in our time of need. If there's one thing I think that we could do better as Christians is to practice, practice his presence. Do you, knowing that he's always there, knowing that he's near, knowing that he's walking through the situations with you. Another funny story I came across and sharing it with you. The story of a man who was on a ship being torpedoed. This was during World War II. Ship sunk. Survivors were on a little raft. They were picked up by a freighter by the enemy. They were all thrown in a big holding area where it was dirty, not knowing their fate, fearing their lives. Of course, that caused anxiety, caused fear, what was going to happen next. In light of this, instead of a man who was captured amidst this group, began to pray. And he was reminded of the psalm that we read earlier this morning, Psalm 121, where it says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. And then this truth, he who keeps you will not slumber. So the man said, there's no use both of us staying awake, Lord. If you're going to keep watch, I'll thank you for some sleep. That is practicing the presence of the Lord in your life. Going to bed knowing that even though situation will be there in the morning that the Lord is at guard and is awake. What is there for us to fear? God promises that he will be what? A friend that sticks closer than a, a brother. Practicing the presence of God in our life, knowing that his ever presence is what helps and guides and directs us. It even restrains our thoughts and keeps them captive to the things of Christ. You might ask yourself, how do I continue to practice that? Simple. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Put yourself in the Scriptures. What I mean by that, not literally put yourself, but put yourself, commit yourself to the truth and studying it, knowing it, knowing that His presence, knowing that this is a Hebrews 4.12 deal where the Word of God is living and active and sharp in a two-edged sword, is able to judge our thoughts and intentions, knowing that it is our protector of our soul. Stay there. Stay there. You want your mind to be changed? Study the scriptures. You want the stability that, that the scripture and what Paul has experienced in his life be in the word of God. It's not just a Sunday morning thing, right? Beloved, I think you get that. You understand that. It is a daily occurrence of dwelling and communing with this holy and living God in our life. I think for some, we need to turn off Fox News and open our scriptures. I think for some, 
We need to turn off the TV and get into the Scriptures. Oh, I can pull coals at all that, but all that to say, the priority of the Scriptures to change our lives, to help us to understand the presence of Christ is the goal that we must do. Your pastor is going to pull over the bus right here. That means part three is coming, okay? We'll put it all together. But part of me doesn't want to rush this. I'll be honest with you. Part of me wants us to to understand the issue at hand so as to mobilize the church to make sure that we're listening to one another to have a boot check moment, right? So what's our takeaway? Very simply, take your bulletin, put it on your mirror, and look at these things. For one, we stand firm in the Lord. Two, we stand in unity, which means that we love and carry one another's burdens. Three, we stand in joy, which means that we rejoice always in the Lord. We trust Him, knowing that He is good all the time, and all the time that He is good. Fourth, we stand firm in gentleness. We practice the presence of Christ daily in our souls, and what draws us to that presence is His Word. That is what we need to practice, simplicity. And Paul brings it to us. This is how we find victory over this life, over life's issues, is standing firm in Christ. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for challenging our, our thoughts and minds this morning, our hearts, wanting so much to, to find victory, not being stuck in sadness or depression or anxiety or fear or whatever overcomes us, but yet to stand firm in the Lord, to know that your presence is daily. One of the joys of that reminder of your presence in our life is the Lord's Supper. The ability for us to understand the salvific work of Christ on the cross, who atoned for our sins, who given us the Holy Spirit, who's imputed his righteousness for our sake. The Lord's table reminds each believer that not only is our faith rooted there, but our whole substance of life is living in Christ Jesus. So as we approach the table, I pray, Lord, that you have already started to prepare our hearts to receive these elements symbolic of the truth in which you've displayed and what you've done for the believer. So we ask that you would grant us your, your grace and mercy in the sense of wanting to do this reverently, knowing that it's better for us to abstain than, than to partake if things are not right. On the flip side, we know that your forgiveness is great. And your mercy is big. And that we can pray to you even as we sit here, as we stand here, knowing that you grant forgiveness, unmerited favor, grace to the undeserved sinner. And so we thank you for sustaining the Christian. Thank you for sustaining the one who are yours, the one who is a slave to Christ. So prepare our hearts as we 
prepare to take the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.